Howdy there, dear listeners. This is your host, Matt. Today I spoke with Nazgul Kulva. You like to ask difficult questions, right? (laughs) (laughs) Nazgul is a resident of Bishkek, which is the capital of Kyrgyzstan, and a policy analyst in the mining sector. She's also a former government official at the State Agency for Mineral Resources and currently works at various international organizations in Kyrgyzstan. We talked about the ongoing political crisis in Kyrgyzstan, which appears to be finally reaching some kind of a crescendo where things are finally becoming clear. And Kyrgyzstan, we should note, has kind of the richest tradition of political change and upheaval in the region by a long shot. And law enforcement bodies, they are just not capable of anything. Nobody's protected. Everybody's afraid. You're listening to The Slavic Connection, brought to you by the Center for Russian, East European, and Eurasian Studies at the University of Texas at Austin. Nazgul, welcome to the podcast. Before we kind of get into the current events, which, you know, I want to hear all about, I think it would be really nice for our listeners if you kind of set the stage for us a little bit with kind of the history of political change in modern Kyrgyzstan. So obviously there was the Tulip Revolution in 2005, which ousted Akayev, who was a a longtime dictator. Yeah. Then we had Bakiev, who was ousted in 2010. Then we had another upheaval in 2017. You know, why do these events seem to happen so often? Right. Okay. So let me start with uh, one important contextual fact. Kyrgyzstan is divided between the north and the south, with less educated people living in the south. And they are also more Islamic, more prone to be like influenced by religion, uh, religious leaders. While the north is generally more educated and uh, more liberal, I would say. And even during the Soviet times, uh, Moscow tried to keep the balance by appointing uh, representatives of both the North and the South as, as heads of Soviet Kyrgyzstan. And as have you, you've mentioned, um, it's already a third revolution in Kyrgyzstan. And this partly explains why it happened so fast, of course, uh, that nobody in Kyrgyzstan had expected this outcome. And this happened during the night and when people woke up, everybody was in a shock and a, and a surprise. Like, I mean, yeah, it wasn't a good news generally. During the first revolution, Askar Akhaev was ousted in 2005. Um, the results of the parliamentary elections triggered the revolution. Uh, they were held with violations. Two of his children, they became members of parliament and peace. But the revolution in 2005 started in the south when people denied to uh, obey to central authorities and started to appointment to the appointment of their own representatives. But then people came to the capital, to Bishkek, and law enforcement bodies, they didn't. Wow, that's interesting that 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 revolution started in the south. I didn't actually know that because most of the political life happens in Bishkek, as far as I understand. Yeah, yeah. But at that time, because of the division of the north-south, Sarakayev was a representative of the North. And somehow people in the South who generally poorer and less educated, as I mentioned, so they were not satisfied with his regime. So it's called a tulip revolution because we didn't have, we hadn't have, uh, had a single uh, victim. But the second president, Kurmanbek Bakiev, uh, he was a representative of the South. 
but his regime, his presidency uh, was much worse than we have seen until 2005 because criminals felt freedom to push to influence business independent journalists, pol- political analysts, they have been killed. He changed several times by enlarging his uh, functions and responsibilities. But the, what triggered the revolution was the increase in utility and mobile communication prices. And it was a big trigger because Kyrgyzstan is considered to be one of the poorest countries. And of course, that would have been a huge impact on economic association. So in 2010, the events started in the north. And then they came to, again, capital Bishkek. And this time, the authorities, they killed about 80 people. But there is an opinion that it wasn't uh, law enforcement bodies who actually shoot at people, but there were some criminal elements that were hired by President Bakiev and his brother. His brother is very known to be behind all the shootings and killings of opposition and peace journalists, uh, etc. Actually, in 2010, Kurmanbek Bakiev, he didn't want to leave the country. At that time, Russia and Kazakhstan, they pushed him to uh, go to Kazakhstan and then sign the resignation. And now he lives in uh, Belarusia, um, while the first yes. president, <laughs> Mr. Akaev, he lives in Russia. I want to ask yeah. very quickly on that point. What, I mean, what do the yeah. what do the Kyrgyz people think that their former presidents live in, in Russia and Belarus, considering the events going on in, in their country? Is it kind of telling to them that they have to flee to these states with similar authoritarian styles of governance and leaders? You know, people they want both presidents back, both of them. Nobody had forgiven anybody, including the first president who didn't shoot uh, a single person. But yeah, people want them here. People want them to to hold responsibility for, for what they have done to the people and to the country. And, but unfortunately, our law enforcement bodies, they couldn't have done anything as we as we see right now to push them, <laughs> push Russia and Belarusia to yeah, give them back to us. But people, yes, are ready to see them here. And then we had, starting in 2010, a period yeah, of, had, of rel- relative st- stability because we had a new president. Yeah, he was again representative uh, of the North. I would say he is quite intelligent. Um, he is quite sly. He was able to control everybody, but to keep the balance. And the people did not want any revolution. There wasn't uh, such an atmosphere in the country. But anyway, in order to stick to the to, to the law, to the constitution, he wasn't able to re-elect for the second term. Instead, he used a Russian, so to say, Russian scenario. He decided to choose a person to become the next president, but to actually influence all uh, political and economic processes. So this person was Mr. Jean Biakov, who became a president of the country, and he was from the South. But when you become a president, you, of course, you have you want to become uh, an independent. And Mr. Atambayev, the third president, he, he wanted to, as I said, influence all the important processes. And when Mr. Jinbekov, the fourth president, started uh, persecuting him. Um, yeah, exactly. He I mean, first there were arguments. It wasn't that serious. But Mr. Atambayev, he's a, I mean, not diplomatic in a political point of view. He started 
yeah, he started inflicting him. He started using bad words that all the country heard and read. Were the were the people surprised when they started seeing them fighting because they were supposed to be allies? Exactly. <laughs> yes. Yes, we were surprised. But then when you start thinking, okay, I mean, he is the president. The, that guy is a former president, and he ha- he he needs to to respect the president, right? I mean, you you can have any uh, discussions under the table or nobody where when nobody sees, but in front of the society, you have to be polite. I mean, you have to play the game. But yeah, yeah there was a fight between them and then uh, Mr. Atambayev. He was perse- persecuted and he was imprisoned last year with special anti-terrorist forces attacked his his house and imprisoned him. Here we came um, to uh, to the third revolution. Uh, on October 4th, we had parliamentary elections where only three, a maximum four political parties, pro-power parties, they got almost oh, oh, 75% as, as I remember of the, right. the voices. Right. right. And uh, these elections, we uh, witnessed uh, and saw widespread vote buying we saw that the same people were were voting several times in different places. For example, in, in Bishkek and the capital, in different in different places. We also heard about intimidation, especially in the south, when uh, authorities used criminals to intimidate people to vote uh, in a particular way. Opposition parties took almost nothing. They all united and organized a peaceful protest on October fifth. And this protest was supposed to be indefinite and it was supposed to be peaceful. Their intention was to push the president to annul the election results and hold re-election. So nobody wanted any revolution at that time. However, um, I was uh, watching the process, the protest live, and I heard that there were some representatives there whom I don't know who... Um, made statements such as, Mr. President, we give you the time until 8 p.m. for you to, to come and to talk to us. Or one representative, he even pronounced such a phrase, we are not Belarusians. Come and <laughs> speak to us. <laughs> yeah, so um, he was. it turned out he was right. <laughs> um, again, so after 8 p.m. Yes, these, these people's ultimatums, something like this. Yeah, exactly, yeah. After 8 p.m., opposition leaders, it, I mean, it seemed that they didn't know what to do. I, I live in front of the White House and I I, I heard, wow. I saw I mean, Was it everything. loud? How, how was your front row seat? I was scared to death. <laughs> yeah, wow. I mean, I watched all three revolutions, but on that night, I would say they entered the building I lived. And that was scary. I I mean, of course I was scared about losing my life <laughs> because I didn't know who, who were the guys who were who, who were fighting with law enforcement buddies. But yeah, they, they didn't knock at my door, <laughs> luckily. <laughs> but that was, yeah, that was scary. I saw, I mean, uh, law enforcement buddies, they used rubber bullets, tear gas, stun grenades, and I heard and I saw everything. If we could smell tear gas in our apartment, yeah, it wasn't the most pleasant moment in and our so lives. So that was at the very beginning of the month. That was like October 4th, 5th, 6th. 5th, yeah, night, yeah. Night, yeah. right. Yeah. 
And now, you know, what has gone on over the past 10 days or so? I mean, I know that we've seen the sudden rise of this figure, Japarov, yeah. who recently is now the new Speaker of Parliament. It's been confirmed. Describe these events since, since those initial first days of shock. So during that night and the following day, all political prisoners were gotten out by some groups of protesters, including uh, the most relevant politician for now is Prime Minister Sadr Japarov. So Mr. Japarov, he was a former MP and this actually the supporter of the second president, Kurmanbek Bakiev. So the Prime Minister, the current Prime Minister, he was imprisoned in 2017, as far as I remember, for, for kidnapping of a regional governor and a forcible seizure of power. He's also well known for calling for the nationalization of the biggest gold mine in the country, operated by a Canadian uh, mining company. These popular statements uh, made, him, yeah, made him very popular and got many supporters to him. It's exactly the issue of nationalization of the gold mine. He, uh, he, his biography isn't rich for interesting. Why, why is he, though, the one that everybody seems to be laying their hopes on? It, 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 just, it just seems stunning to me that somebody from Bakiev, yeah. Bakiev's circle is, is suddenly becoming mm-hmm. so prominent. And it seems yeah. like it could have been so many other people. Yeah. I think there's an issue of nationalization of the biggest gold mine. I mean... Made right, so very, it's this, it's this very, populist very, message that's really yeah, fueling him. Yes, okay. exactly, making him very popular. But I would say that he, not a lot of people knew who he was. And it was really, really a surprise to us why he was like struggling for the position of the prime minister. And um, he was first supported by, by the people who came from the region he was born. Uh, but then also criminal elements started supported him. He uh, was in, in prison for, for about three or four years. And according to one Kyrgyz general, um, usually political prisoners, they became, be, they under, you know, control <laughs> when they are in prison, they are under control of criminal elements. So when they got out, they are still under control of the criminal elements. I'm not an expert in criminal law, and I, that's why I'm telling you what the Kyrgyz general said. I don't know how things are happening there, <laughs> but he he explains to the to the public why this new prime minister was supported by criminal elements. That's fascinating. The the U.S. State Department yeah. uh, re- released a statement, and yeah. it's really interesting because one of the things that they mentioned is that. They believe organized crime is the biggest threat to Kyrgyz democracy. Yeah. So I think yeah. it's so interesting, right, to think about exactly what you said, which is that these four politicians become more integrated into organized crime after they go to prison and get exposed to these people. It's just, it's just an interesting thought. It's very clear to the population that criminal elements are behind all of that. But we still had hopes that the situation would be changed. As you said, the, the statement of the U.S. Embassy, actually, the US, as far as I, am, as I know, the U.S. Embassy was the first and the only embassy who dared to make such a statement that organized criminal groups are attempting to go to come into power. 
yesterday, oh no, no, it was today. I mean, I mean, new, new, new news, new events uh, happening each hour. So it's very difficult to remember when happened, when <laughs> no, yeah, each meeting took place. Today, Mr. Jane Bekov, our legitimate president and the new prime minister, former convict, they met with Putin's administration deputy head, as I remember his position. Of course, we don't know what they were discussing. It's a a startling thought. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Everybody was wondering what was discussed and what what message did Putin want to deliver. Uh, After this meeting, all MPs approved the new prime minister today unanimously. And of course, we start thinking, okay, then Mr. Putin has agreed to this candidacy. I mean, I I didn't think that. Oh, dear. Yes, I didn't think that events would be, you know, would be happening in this way. And I I had hopes yesterday after the U.S. Department statement and also a special representative of the U.N. is is coming here. But, you know, when all MPs vote unanimously for a former convict to become a prime minister, it's a bit startling. Yes, it's it's startling and Nazgul, I'll tell you why. Because when I, you know, from my reading about Kyrgyzstan, you know, I hear yeah. all the time about how, you know, the Kyrgyz people were nomadic and so therefore they're so freedom loving. It, it's almost a cliche. Do, do you believe that this freedom loving nature that, that we hear about so often is playing a role in, in, any, in any of the events that we're seeing? Does it does it matter or is it really just a kind of kind of a cliche? No, it matters. You're absolutely right. It matters. I would say more um, his, from the historical point of view, Kyrgyz state's leaders, they were selected during um, public meetings. And if any particular leader didn't satisfy the society, he was ousted and yet and a new leader was appointed. So it's kind of, uh, you know, in our genes <laughs> that, uh, yeah, <laughs> we we change our leaders. And I, I think, I mean, I thought these guys who were fighting law enforcement bodies that night, they were about 18, 20 years old. Um, they were very naive. They came from regions because educated young men, they would never make a revolution. They would never die for freedom, I would say. Wow. But people, yeah, but... People who live uh, young, especially young men, very energetic, you know, they don't know uh, how to express all their emotions, I would say. They come to the city, they want uh, their lives to get better because there is a massive unemployment in in regions, Uh, economic situation is very bad. And actually, they have nothing to lose. And that's why they come here and they, they fight for their rights, they fight for freedom. I want to ask about those young people. I mean, so... I understand they're inspired and they have all of this energy, but yeah. you know where where do they where does their interest in politics come from? Do they learn about politics in school? Um, is there like classes of civic education? Um, <laughs> Excellent question. No, <laughs> a lot of people. The majority of Kyrgyz population is very politicized. And I, w- I was trying to answer for myself why, I mean, it happens this way, because, I mean, and it turned out, so people generally in Kyrgyzstan, they're not very well educated after the demise of the Soviet Union, our education level has, yeah, has, has worsened a lot. 
And the only thing I think that people has an interest in that is not very difficult to comprehend is politics, I guess. Uh, yeah, people, especially in regions, they have nothing to do but for cattle breeding or agriculture or some, some yeah, similar stuff. The, the other interesting thing that I read was that 68% of Kyrgyz people believed that family relationships were the most mm-hmm. important value uh, mm-hmm. for them. And how that yeah. expresses itself in the political sphere is that once any person gets some political power, they yeah. need to help not their fellow party members or people of their same ideology, yeah. but they need to help their, their family yeah. members. And so that those family ties uh, break yeah. down other social bonds. They're more powerful. Um, do, do you believe that, that that is playing a role in this upheaval that we constantly see in Kyrgyzstan? Everybody expects help from these politicians, uh, but it's not always the case that politicians do provide this help. But uh, I, I wouldn't say that this dri- is a driving force for revolution. I think that people's uh, desire a natural desire for uh, freedom as nomads. Also, north and west, uh, the the north and the south, the issue of the north and the south, uh, as I mentioned in the beginning. Um, Yeah, these have more important uh, roles. And so they don't, there's not this sense that, you know, these strong family ties are actually a problem because they lead to more corruption or anything like that. It's almost just kind of assumed. Uh, Yeah, strong family ties lead to more corruption, but we talk about um, very close families. But, I mean, people, for example, a person who um, is born in some village, uh, his family, distant family members, and those people living in that village, in that community, they have hopes, they believe that this particular uh, person who becomes a politician, he he then supports them. Uh, immediate family members, of course, I mean, they become, they, they become corrupt, they become powerful, yes. But a couple of persons, they cannot, like, influence uh, the revolution processes. Yeah. So let's let's move back to what's going on right now. So we know we know that Sorabai Jimbekov. Uh, yeah. Now correct me if I'm wrong. He has not been seen in public since the crisis started. Uh, why why is he hiding? Why is he not you know at least appeared on TV? How I imagine other presidents would have responded to unrest is you know they go they go on state television or TV and say, look at me, here yeah. I am, I'm still the leader. Is he hiding? And if so, why? Uh, he was hiding, you're right. Uh, he appeared like today. He, he met with uh, the speaker of the parliament from with the... So, so he, he appeared for the first time to, today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He appeared, yeah, our leader. <laughs> The only legitimate leader, to me, I mean, as uh, as far as the society is concerned, yeah, this is an excellent question. And people, we we also during the first day, it was clear nobody wanted him, um, nobody, nobody wanted to see him, to hear from him. But then, uh, when 
we start watching criminal elements influencing the political processes. Of course, people started um, hoping for the president who can use his, the law enforcement bodies to um, yeah, make everything in order. And actually, he... Um, he introduced uh, the state of emergency, ordering troops in, into the capital. Um, there is a curfew right now from 10 p.m. and until 5 a.m. Uh, but, uh, you know, it helped maybe in some way, but we all, at the same time, we saw that the supporters of, of the prime minister that they didn't obey to the curfew, they just didn't care. And we didn't see that law enforcement bodies actually um, ensured that these people obey to, this, to the curfew. And this was the second shock, you know, I mean, all, all the people, all the capital uh, is sitting uh, inside and those people um, from regions, sometimes maybe a couple of them were criminal elements, uh, they are on the square dancing and celebrating the nomination of their yeah, leader as a prime minister. Generally, Mr. Jambeka is very weak, and the majority of people, they didn't understand that. And the, the other question that came up was, okay, so we see these protesters. Where are the pro-Jinbeka protesters or supporters? Are they all in the, in the South? You know, we don't think that people in does, the or South... Or does he not have any... <laughs> Yes, exactly. Because I mean, his pop, his uh, presidency wasn't very good for them either. And after the the, the third revolution has happened, and we didn't see any, you know, division between the north and the south. We saw the division between the between criminal elements and general population. Wow. That well, that's yeah. interesting. That's a new development. Yeah. Exactly. So, yeah, he is weak, uh, but, you know, we still do not understand many things um, that are being, you know, happening behind the closed doors. Uh, we, we thought that maybe it's a game of Jane Bekov. Maybe he's using Mr. Japarov in his game. There was um, such a, you know, a theory when you just don't understand what's going on. But today it became clear that it's Mr. Japarov who runs the country. And uh, moreover, his supporters are now on the central square asking Ajian Bekov to resign. And uh, Mr. Japarov, he also officially met with uh, Mr. Jain Bekov and he asked him to resign. And this was uh, a surprise. And now it's clear that Sadir Japarov, the prime minister, he wants to become a president. So after the official resignation of the current president, presidential elections have to be held within three months. And it's clear he wants to become a president. And he also made a statement that he wants to change our constitution. Currently, we have a semi-parliamentary system. And he wants uh, Kyrgyzstan to become a president republic again, so that everything is under control of the president of him. Oh, yeah. goodness gracious. Yeah. This is a very dark yeah. story that you're telling me, Nazgul, yeah. because I think that I think a lot of people, I should say, in the West, you know, Europe, the United States, you know, we see these revolutions happening in Kyrgyzstan. And our assumption is that with each one, things are maybe getting a little bit better. Of course, you know, not everything's great after all these upheavals in 2005, yeah. 2010, 2017, and now. Yeah. 
but maybe, maybe things are getting a little bit better and the, the country is getting more democratic. But what you're saying to me now makes makes it seem that, in fact, what we could be seeing, at least in this case, is something much more like backsliding, where it's almost, you know, the country is not headed towards a more democratic future, but it, quite the opposite. It's these criminal elements and more populist populist in the negative sense figures are really kind of manipulating things and things might even get worse. Yeah, that's one option. We we do not know for sure what will happen. He gathered, he suggested a cabinet for uh, MPs to approve. And what's interesting is that he tried to nominate a representative of different political parties. For example, I mean, Minister of Foreign Affairs is a representative one of, of one of the opposition parties. And I think that he tries to look good in front of the society or something like that. I mean, anyway, strange. We, we do not understand many things yet. It's very early to make certain conclusions. But for what he wants for now, I mean, I think it's clear for everybody. The news comes each hour, you know, and that's why it's, we still need to process some events. I think it's clear for people that he wants to become a president and he wants to become a president of the, of the pre- president of the republic, right? To take responsibility for, but, um, for everything. Yeah. And, and so my question is, if the Kyrgyz people are so uh, democracy-loving, uh, why, why would they accept uh, a single person concentrating more power back into their hands. It seems to me that if we look on recent history, that yes. that path has failed and the people will just overthrow him. Does he not think that he will befall the same fate? Uh, he's, I think uh, you're right. I mean, that's logical. <laughs> you would expect that. Um, I think that the planning horizon of such people is five minutes. <laughs> Maybe this is the answer. I don't know. <laughs> okay. So I, I want to ask, you know, there, there, you know, there are so many other players um, on the periphery of of this of this yeah. post election <laughs> crisis, whether it be uh, Janarakayev, uh, Asanov. Uh, I mean, that I could just name these names and, and pronounce them very poorly. But I, I think it would be useful if you could tell us, you know, who are some of the other figures, political players, who mm-hmm. you think who you think could play a role uh, at some point in the near future, who we think, who, who you think that we should keep an eye on? I think this is the most difficult question so far. And I'm afraid I don't have an answer because the previous week has shown to us that there is no single leader who would get the support of the society and of the country. Um, and the situation is changing so fast. And political politicians, they change their faces so fast. <laughs> one day they they made one statement, another day they made another statement. And and it's a bit difficult to understand who is not afraid of taking this responsibility, given that there is information that some MPs are afraid of these criminal elements. That's why they approved Mr. Jabarov unanimously. Yeah, because they were they are intimidated by the organized criminal groups. It's difficult. Uh, Mr. Babanov, I would say he's the most competent uh, politician among the position forces, but he's a coward. We saw that several times, and mm. I don't think he would dare, yeah, to go against Mr. Jafarov. We need somebody as crazy as Mr. Atambaev 
that, that was my next question is, you know, yeah. the, the where is where is Atambayev and his supporters? People think that, of course, Atambayev was by no means a savior or perfect, but th- there was some stability and that things were kind of moving in an okay direction. Mm-hmm. Supporters of Atambayev, what, what are they doing now and, you know, where are they? You know, Mr. Atambayev, along with other politicians in opposition, they also organized a peaceful protest and they were intimidated by the criminal elements uh, on the square. And this peaceful protest has shown uh, to us that actually there are no many people who would support Mr. Atambayev because we are angry with him that he actually is to be blamed that Mr. Jimbeka became the president and now we, we are currently in this chaos. I wouldn't say that the general public supports him very much. He can have supporters by paying them out, as uh, and it's a usually it's a common practice in Kyrgyzstan. You just pay uh, to people and then and then and they that live in regions and they come to Bishkek and then and they support you. But I wouldn't say she would have, like, massive support. You posted on Facebook something very interesting and very curious that I wanted to ask about. Basically, you said, to all Kyrgyz politicians, without exception, and you posted an image (laughs) uh, that says how to make a good apology. And it says accept responsibility, request forgiveness, express regret. Why did you post this and why do Kyrgyz politicians seem to not feel this responsibility to apologize to mm-hmm. the voters for, for the chaos yeah. in the country? Because they do not feel responsibility or they do not want to accept the fact that they are responsible for these events. And I was very disappointed with the young generation. There were a couple of young men that actually have diplomas of Western universities who participated in the election from different part, uh, parties, political parties. And what we had seen and what, what we saw last week is that they were fighting over the position of the prime minister. They were fighting with Mr. Jeparov. And at first, we weren't able to understand what was going on. And of course, and, and they told us, these young representatives of this young generation, they told us, okay, we have, an, we have uh, you have an option, Mr. Jeparov, a convict, or some particular person who is a representative of the young generation, who is a, a successful businessman or something like that. And then, but I have an acquaintance uh, who is married to an MP, uh, and he told me that actually... MPs during the first couple of days, they suggested the candidacy of vice vice prime minister to become an acting prime minister. He is a very uh, smart guy, intelligent guy, um, an economist and a very neutral person. So if they uh, had chosen this person, we wouldn't have such a a chaotic scenario. But instead, when they pushed forward, they pushed forward this young man to become a president, uh, a prime minister. We're talking about um, ambitions. That's it. And I see that nobody there, even the young generation, nobody thought about the country. They thought about their personal ambitions. And this makes us feel outraged. You, you expect that from convicts, you expect that from uneducated people who live in regions, 
you do not expect that from the young generation who saw Europe and the, the, the other Western world, right? Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And so I, I guess to kind of counteract that unfortunate message about the disappointment with kind of people who should be more pro-democratic with this kind of Western experience, it, what is something that makes you optimistic about the political future of Ky- Kyrgyzstan? Is there any kernel of optimism that you can gain from any of the events going on right now? Oh, you like to ask difficult questions, right? <laughs> <laughs> It's difficult. I am not very optimistic about the future. I can have dreamy hopes that are not based on any, you know, um, rational arguments. I hope I hope for, for the next elections. I mean, we should have new parliamentary elections within the next two months. Nobody's talking about it right now, but we should have them. Um, and really, we really hope that opposition political forces, they will unite. They will maybe come up with some leader, even though I am not sure who will dare to oppose Mr. Jafarov, who is supported by criminal elements. I just cannot imagine who would dare. But yeah, we 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 have uh, the hope for the parliamentary elections. It can be a miracle that Mr. Jafarov uh, starts thinking about the country. Um, but we just do not have any arguments for that. Seeing his biography, where he doesn't have any experience, solid experience in public sector governance or as a leader, a manager. No, not that many prospects, I would say. Maybe if international community makes a statement such as the U.S. embassy did, maybe they would be able to influence by saying that Kyrgyzstan lives in a globalized world. You depend on many countries financially, right? And so these current authorities, they need to realize that. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm certainly hoping for a scenario like the one that you've described but it seems to me that your baseline scenario is that Japarov will be victorious and he will kind of be able to unite the political system uh, around him enough to probably win, win these upcoming elections and kind of become the, the new leader of the country for the, for the time being. Uh, is, is that correct? We, currently, we do not see any other option. We just have to accept this fact and hope that he will be responsible. But we are actually we are afraid how criminal elements will influence the situation because now we see that enterprises, uh, mining companies, they are being attacked. Some smaller companies, for example, resorts um, and hotels, they are being pushed to pay money for certain groups of people for the protection. And law enforcement bodies, they are just not capable of anything in this in this situation. Nobody is protected. Everybody's afraid, but we'll see. I mean, it's very difficult to make any forecast right now. Nazgul, I wanted to thank you so much 
for speaking with us today. This has been so enlightening and helpful for me and I think our listeners to understand what's going on in, in this country, which we want to think is kind of a, a bright light of progress and democracy in the region, uh, especially when you look at you know, na- neighboring countries have very different political systems, like in, yeah. you know, neighboring Tajikistan yeah. or Turkmenistan, yeah. Kazakhstan, yeah. so on. Is there anything else, any final messages that you would want to give, give our listeners or anything else that you, you wanted to share with us? I think that from the evolution perspective, we are on the right track. For example, during this the third revolution, we didn't have any looting that we had previously in 2005 and 2010. Law enforcement body, they didn't kill people intentionally. They, they were shooting legs, as far as I understand. And during 2005 and 2010, living in front of the White House, I saw people they were that were drunk and under drugs or some other substances. And this time, I saw very sober young men who consciously were, were ready to die for their rights and, and for, for the freedom. And this fact gives me hope. And from the historical perspective, we are on the right track. We are developing positively, even though, of course, there are certain groups of people that don't, they don't understand this. But generally, I think that this is our trajectory. We, I think, won't go back to, to the dictatorship or we, we won't turn to Tajikistan and some other neighboring countries. I think, yeah, we are on the right track. And I, I, at least I hope so. <laughs> In the long run, yeah, that we will be okay. <laughs> Nazgul, thank you so much for, for this conversation. Good night. <laughs> To you, uh, eleven time zones away in Kyrgyzstan, and good luck in these coming in these coming days. Yeah, thank you for having me. Good luck to you. Bye bye. The views expressed on this episode do not necessarily reflect those of the show or the University of Texas. Please visit SlavXRadio.com for more information. Thank you for listening. The Slavic Connection is produced by the Center for Russian, East European, and Eurasian Studies at.